Hello, I'm here with Caitlin to talk about hacking edge devices. But before that, we've got a fun one about ransomware gang. Yeah, so actually it's not really about ransomware gangs, but rather the institution that got um, hacked by a ransomware gang. So this is an article from Bleeping Computer by Ianet Lushku. Um, essentially what happened is that um, one of the victims of of uh, hack of ransomware at their Meridian link uh, got hacked and they didn't disclose within four days. So luckily the people that hacked them uh, reported them to the SEC. <laughs> because... well, they're public spirited. Yes, yes, exactly. Because they're they're breaking the, the rules. You're, you're, if you get ransomware, you're supposed to report to the SEC within four days. Now, unfortunately, the uh, Meridian Link did not do that. Uh, so the people that ransomware them uh, did. They reported them to the SEC for them. So, you know, this is progress. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about an Impulse Security podcast, and one guy said, you know, they probably shorted the stock. So this way they get paid even if you don't pay the ransom. Exactly. And you know, yeah, no, and and they it also it also gives them some leverage as well in the negotiation for funds. I mean, it's I get why they did it, but it's it's very funny that the ransomware people are going to the SEC. You don't you don't think they're altruistically trying to improve our security? Oh, something tells me that's not the case at all. Just just well, you know, that's been the argument of the gray hat hackers all along. I'm hacking you to raise security awareness. You should say thank you. If if you are not demanding anything in return, then yes. If people hack you, that's great. Um, and and but the second you start demanding payment, then people get all bent out of shape. For yeah, I mean it, it kind of implies an ulterior ul- ulterior motive. Yep, yep, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, all right. And I got a couple here. So so Nikki Haley has come out and said we need to end anonymity on the internet. And that'll solve a host of problems, which, by the way, is exactly what Putin said about 10 years ago. And then everyone on the right and the left said, are you out of your mind? There are people who have to be anonymous and the Federalist Papers are written anonymously. And and you're so then she said, well, it's OK if Americans are anonymous, but we can't let foreigners be anonymous. And then today I heard the Pivot podcast and Scott Galloway says, well, we just have to stop um If people want to be anonymous, they'll have to like prove that they have a reason, like they're a gay activist or something. So this implies we're going to have some registry system where you're not anonymous, where you prove you have a license to be anonymous or some damn thing like that. And, you know, I think just like the uh, giving the FBI a secret backdoor encryption key, this has been discussed over decades on the Internet. And they have correctly concluded, the, the, the wise old people have correctly concluded that you have to just let people be anonymous with no you know, checking. That is the only thing that will ever work. Um. Anyway, so you got any opinion about that? No, I mean this is always this always pops up every few months. Some politician wants to put in the back door, wants to de-anonymize the internet, read yeah. everyone text message, and every few months we have to remind them that if you do that, everything, all our security goes away. So yeah, yeah. So they they never get tired of it. All right. And there's one other here I thought was great. I've been I've been studying AI security and the general solution for AI security problems is to add another AI in front of it. And this is, you know, once you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So Dall E has apparently got a lot better. 
And Dolly is the thing that will draw an image based on your description. And I tried it, you know, maybe half a year ago and it wasn't very good. And people complained it wasn't very good. So the way they've improved it is they put GPT-4 in front of it to rewrite your description into a better description, which goes into Ali. And they say, now it actually makes good photos because it uses the other AI to better understand the instructions. So I think this is the answer. It's AIs all the way down. Anyway. So. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is you can use AI to sanitize the, the answers, too. So if you have like... Yeah. Uh, if, if a user asks the instructions to, of how to enrich uranium, yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, the kids are doing it. They're calling it toping, uh, sort of for isotoping. You know, trying oh, to, That's trying cool. to, yep, yeah, trying to do some toping. Uh, if you go on to like ChatGPT and ask it how to do some toping, uh, using a, you know, um, a centrifuge, a giant centrifuge, yeah. uh, you could have another AI look at the answer and be like, hey, this is telling people how to make enriched uranium to sell to foreign nations. And you shouldn't uh, allow that unless you paid for the premium plan. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to you You've, with how much signal costs. Yeah, this surprised me. So signal is just a simple, almost, yeah. it's the modern day version of IRC. And IRC, of course, was very cheap and people just ran their own servers. How expensive could it be to run Signal? Uh, well, it turns out it's actually really expensive. Um, not, you know, ridiculously, amazingly expensive, but still expensive, um, much more than you're thinking. So uh, Wired has this article by Andy Greenberg, and apparently Signal costs $50 million a year to maintain. So this includes all the servers and everything, keeping the app up to date, doing the coding, that kind of stuff. And this seems like a lot, though. I guess I guess if you're going to have like a singular network for everything, and not just have something like IRC where everyone has their own servers and everything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you just front all the costs and you you pay whatever it costs to to keep it going. But it it is expensive, and as far as I know, I don't know how they're going to make any money because Signal's sort of like a community. <laughs> you know, endeavor to encrypt traffic on our phones uh, and keep people and criminals, I should, I should also point out, uh, anonymous and encrypted with each other. So I don't know. Well, well, you just have to be creative. First, you put in ads, then you put in targeted ads, then you start secretly selling the data to like malware companies. You can make yeah. plenty of money. Exactly. So I don't, I don't know where they're getting $50 million a year from, but it is quite a lot. And I imagine they might start be asking for donations or something soon. Yeah, I would is... expect those pop-up donation pages like Wikipedia would be yeah. the logical next step. And, and and the thing is, I mean, you could argue it's worth it. Um, and and you know, argue you could also argue I don't I don't know where is Signal located? Where's the headquarters? It's American. That's why it's I American. switched to it. I was using Telegram, and then I'm a military contractor, and it's a Russian product. And I said, you know, I really can't be sending my data to Russia. That'd be like having Kaspersky antivirus. So I switched to Signal because yeah. it's American. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm thinking this might be a good socialist project uh, to take over, have the government come in and start just funding this because it is a useful tool for both military and civilian uh, communication. Um, it is, yeah. Yep. So hopefully, hopefully they'll keep going, but it is, it is, it is not cheap. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a couple here. Google has embedded watermarks in their AI-generated music and their AI-generated pictures, and they've tried to do it very cleverly so it can survive adding noise and compressing the files and everything else. That's probably not going to be perfect. Uh, previous tests have shown that all attempts to put watermarks in AI-generated stuff can be 
fooled, but Google has made an attempt to do a good job of it. And certainly it'll probably help. Um, and that's part of what they agreed with that AI summit with Biden a few months ago. They're going to try and put watermarks in all the AI generated content. So hopefully we can identify it. And Musk, Elon Musk is yet again made a huge storm by promoting something anti-Semitic on X and uh, a, a uh, media watchdog site, Media Matters, went and found all these major companies and has screenshots of their stuff right next to Nazi propaganda. Because the first thing Elon Musk did when he get back in is let the Nazis flood the platform. So, and IBM, in fact, did pull their advertising for the next 90 days from the site because of this. And the other companies may too. And this is uh, uh, exactly what everybody saw coming. And Elon Musk keeps pretending it's not that there's Nazis. It's that the ADL is mean to me for no apparent reason. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is such a problem, especially with what's going on in Israel right now, that you have the Nazis wanting to tear down Israel and just, just because they're Jewish. And then you have the 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 non-anti-Semites, uh, but a lot of them are just are um, Islamophobic, so they'll, they'll go after Hamas and the Palestinians for no goddamn reason other than they don't like uh islam i mean and it's like it's such a big problem right now it's it's just amplifying hate and and it it is there's real issues that need to be resolved right now in israel and palestine but we really can't have a discussion because yeah. nazis and islamophobes are just are ruining the platform we can't have any criticism either way without emboldening and aside that is that is terrible yeah, I, I've heard. Pro, um, I know they shut down the Bay Bridge or yesterday. People would park their cars on the bridge as part of a protest about that war, and then abandon their cars so they have to be towed. So they backed up all kinds of traffic, and a bunch of medical, like um, important medical transports, didn't get through because the traffic was so backed up. So it really, and I've heard of people getting, I think, killed or assaulted on both sides in protests. Here, it's. People are so emotional and so inflamed right now. You can't really talk about it in a reasonable way. You know, unless people stop being, get over being so emotional, you can't really discuss like, should Israel really be doing what they're doing? Should Hamas really be doing what they're doing? All I don't know. Very many people would say Hamas should be doing what they're doing. But, I'm very, yeah, I was going to say very few people think Hamas, but unfortunately, there are people that don't like um, um, Muslims, and so they will um, sort of gather the Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, with Hamas for no reason. So Hamas was elected in like 2006 when they were yeah. somewhere in the 2000s and they were going on a moderate like platform like, oh, we just we're just moderate people trying to do what's best for Palestine. And then they sort of took over and there hasn't been elections since. Half the population of Palestine are children, yeah. so they wouldn't even have an election to begin with. So to, to, to even suggest that Hamas represents the Palestinians as a whole is so ludicrous um but unfortunately there just are islamophobes who would just you know want to go after the palestinians even though they are clearly suffering right now and they yeah could use some more support so yeah i mean i think and you know i realize logic has very little purchase in this this argument but anybody trying to blame all the palestinians for the actions of their government no american wants to be blamed for the actions of our governments not on the right or the left Whichever side you're on, I'm sure you feel like a lot of what our government does is just horrible and wrong and you want no part of it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of this is is based on Islamophobia. Um, and of course, a lot of the criticisms of Israel 
is based on Nazi bullshit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, there's a a very detailed fun article um, from Sentinel One going into detail about the most famous Indian hack for hire group that's been running for decades, uh, hacking people for money, developing malware for money, and uh, so you can get a glimpse into that interesting world there. Anyway, uh, let's go back to you with Project Kuiper. So Amazon has been putting up a new satellite network, uh, which appears to be going very well. Um, so spacenews.com, uh, let me move over here. So spacenews.com has this has an article by Jason Rainbow. By the way, great name. Yeah. Like Rainbow, like, oh, my God, that's such an awesome name. But anyway, so Jason Rainbow has this article about Project Kuiper. So Project Kuiper put up two uh, satellites, KuiperSat 1 and KuiperSat 2, and they recently sent um, data and communications through the satellite network recently, and they tested all the systems and everything is looking really good, which is fantastic. So the the first tests are, are you know, very, just has gone... Ex- perfectly perfectly to plan as far as i can tell so uh now they're going to start putting up a fleet of these kuiper satellites and there will be three customer terminals um available for people to buy so see yes so here they are right now and they just look like um antenna that's antenna so (laughs) the way this works is that these are actually phased array antennas right so it's not just one antenna they are like dozens and dozens of, of smaller antennas uh, that have their phases aligned uh, so they could it can create beams directly towards the um towards the satellite that they're targeting as well as receive beams you know from the satellite they're targeting so it's can it, it works re- both ways yeah can it reorient the beam with software like yes to exactly follow the satellite well that exactly happens. yeah no phased antenna arrays are super awesome they've been around for a while but they've yeah never been in the consumer space before so it doesn't um, have to be a dish pointed in a direction is that yeah less efficient i would think no I... it's not it's it's it uh i mean they're, they they might have some concavity uh but it's not a traditional satellite dish a satellite dish yeah traditionally so i'm gonna go back to full screen here so a satellite dish traditionally is essentially just a telescope for radio uh what happens is that the radio wa- waves hit the back of the dish and then they converge to a single point. Um, that's the detector or the the, the actual antenna element. Uh, usually something like a low noise block down converter, uh, which then sends the data to the device. Um, this is completely different. This is um, uh, so it's, so a traditional dish has one re- one receiving element. Um, this has many receiving elements, and depending on the phase that's going in they can constructively or deconstructively interfere with the other antennas um, to create uh, signals going out in a single direction, but also change that direction very quickly in software. Uh, And this is used historically in like radar, military radar, stuff like that, where they really need to uh, move around the the pointy (laughs) radio signal um, as much as they can really quickly. But um, yeah, we're seeing this in consumer hardware now, which is really cool. So so how many satellites does Kuiper have up so far? Two. Oh. The prototype. Well, they need the, like thousands, right, to have real service. Yeah, they're they're gonna be putting up a lot more. They're low earth orbit satellites, uh, so they'll have to put up a lot more satellites for it to 
uh, create the constellation. Um, SpaceX has five or 10,000 up there, right? They have a lot. They they already have a lot. Um, now the Kuiper ones are going to be even better. They're running on a higher frequency, running newer hardware, um, and they are not run by Elon Musk, uh, which... A considerable advantage, especially... Could, yes, yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to seeing how weird the Kuiper... Uh, satellite network goes um although, although to be fair bezos is kind of an annoying ridiculous tech bro but he's not a nazi he just seems he's, to be sort of having midlife crisis and you know doing the typical stuff posing for pictures with his wife and stuff <laughs> i mean I, I i as much as as he is sort of like obnoxiously rich uh he did send william shatner to space so in runs the Washington Post, which I like, and he does not yeah. interfere with it. So I mean, he seems to do some good, as well as being kind of a self-indulgent, indulgent tech pro. Right. So he no, I Jeff Bezos is is Jeff Bezos. He's fine. Um, He's un, unlike unlike, unlike unlike some some people that buy social networks to invite Nazis on. I'm That's not going to name who that was. Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, okay. But yes, yeah. But I mean, uh, now people are saying uh, the, the stock price of Tesla is actually falling. People have might have been, uh, actually begun to get fed up with Elon Musk. I don't know if that's true. Sort of like Donald Trump, he, he seems like the the monster in a, the horror movie where no matter how many times you give him a killing blow, he just comes back anyway. Right, and the 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 other thing too is that I think the U.S. government has lost faith in Starlink after what happened in like Ukraine and Russia and everything. And I think well, it is Kuiper... not logical for sing one single person to make military decisions. Right. Right. Um, and I think that the, the Kuiper mission, I think will have better integration with the U S government, which means that there will probably be another source of income, even if it doesn't have a huge, um, customer base on the ground, because really the only people that really need, um, this sort of satellite internet are people in remote locations, which is a small subset of people. You're, you're better off if you get fiber optic in your neighborhood uh, to go with that rather than through a like satellite network. Um, but if you're in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, rural, uh, I don't know, um, Vancouver, I don't know, uh, outskirts of Vancouver somewhere, you can, I mean, sometimes your only option is like, you know, dial up or or this, or something, something like Starlink or Kuiper, and I think between Kuiper and Starlink, I think Kuiper is the better choice. Yeah, well, now that you mention it, I mean, the logic until your military can have their own satellite fleet up there, which I think they can't do anytime soon, they need to lease a private one, and they need to work with somebody who can have like a military grade contract where you promise like not to turn it off and things like that. And I think Amazon has a good reputation there because they do have like military compliance grade servers for um, on the Amazon cloud. So they know how to work with the government and yep. provide the levels of service that are required. So I would probably trust Amazon to lease uh, hundreds or thousand satellites to the military and absolutely not mess with them. Exactly. Um, so a lot of people might not know this, of course, because Amazon has so many business tendrils all over the place. Uh, but they do work very much with the government. When I was at NASA, a lot of our work did involve you know, like AWS and Amazon servers and stuff like that. The, the same is true with Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft also has a very good yeah. um, partnership with the government. So between the two, yeah. And, and yeah, these the, these these work very closely with the U.S. government. Yeah. 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 All right. I got a few other articles I had more than usual today, but I thought this is interesting. FTC 
took action against a global company called Telstarlink because they promised to have high security. Then they didn't have any security at all, no firewall and nothing, no deep, no encryption, no anything. So then they got hacked. And then they just didn't tell anybody for nine months. And then they only told like a small percentage of the people whose data was exposed. And so the FTC took action, but it doesn't seem to include a fine. They just got ordered to knock it off, uh, promised to improve their security practices and notify people of breaches. So that, uh, that's something, I guess. And uh, Google has the new Titan security keys. I haven't tried these. I don't know if you have these USB two-factor keys. It seems to me like if you have your phone, why would you need it? But people say the key is more secure. Uh, supposedly, yes. Yeah. Anyway, they say the key is the most convenient two-factor solution. It can remember up to 240 certificates. It's not just a five-digit number you type in. It's a real digital certificate, like an SSH certificate on there. So it basically cannot be counterfeited. And this thing can plug into USB and it can also connect by NFC to your phone and everything. So you can use it as two-factor for everywhere. And I remember like five years ago, Google announced that they went to 100% use of these things. And after that, they had zero phishing success. So that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, really what we should be doing is the next step after Real ID mm -hmm. is um, sort of PIV ID, uh, where the, the federal government would be issuing uh standard like encryption cards uh signed by like the federal government using you know high military encryption standards everybody or just the government workers uh everyone should have this well this is what obama wanted to do was the government yeah. id everyone rebelled i would rebel i would not trust the government as my repository of trust i'd rather trust a private company i think well or you, we could do it with a private company. That's fine. Um, yeah. Of course, you, you just run into the same problem as who do you trust? Do you trust a private company with? The private you know, company just wants my money. I'm I'm very concerned that the government could turn against me as they become fascist or something. We're on the edge of that. Right, but the, but the only the only thing that you would want your your government PIV card to do is be able to sign you into services on the internet. Yeah. Using standardized hardware, using standardized systems. Um, uh, and using, you know, um, and, and then it would uniquely, it would know who we are. So it would end internet, internet anonymity and solve all those problems too. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you it, yeah, if, if you use the system, it could automatically tie in that, you know, Sam Bowne is logging into Facebook, uh, That's on right. the state and they could all keep records in the government. And wouldn't that be great? Um, well, you know, but, this is why Putin likes it. Why Nikki Haley likes it. It would fix a lot of problems like, yeah. you know, uh, trolls and malware and, you know, a, a bunch of problems would go down if we just lived in a nice totalitarian society where the government was like sending a drone to spy on everything we do in Zappos if we step out of line. Well, no, I mean, that, that's that's not not the idea here. The, the idea is that we have well, a standard. It would, it would create order. There'd be like no, no crime and stuff. There would just be some disadvantages too. No, well, the idea is that we would have a standard of locking in that is secure and fast and does not rely on passwords that cannot be fished, that, you know, cannot you know, possibly be copied either. Um, yeah, if you think the government would actually do it up to modern standards, but then you have to realize the government, 80% of it is running on COBOL. And, uh, you know, the FBI says, we have yesterday's technology tomorrow. I mean, the government is not funded like private corporations to do this right. I'm, I do not think the government makes a logical repository of trust. Well, I mean, you know, I'm the, the military... You know, has PIV cards already. 
uh, for people in the military, yeah. you clearly have to have their own system, and that's fine. But I don't think you want random civilians using the government service. I think that would go nowhere good. I, I think it would. I think having a nice standard. Well, so did Obama. Obama yeah. thought this for like about a week. When Obama said it, there was a scream and clamor of, of you're out of your mind, so he just shut up and pretended he never said it. Uh, just no, like his red line in Syria and other things. And around that time is when John McCain, who was running for president, announced that he was going to build a base on Mars. And that also was out there for like three days before someone told him, dude, shut up. We're not going to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, having standards for logging in and, I, you know, authentication in a way that does not involve passwords, that does not, not involve 20 competing standards. The only way to do that is to create a single standard using the federal government. I was with you until you had the government in there. Anyway, uh, then the last one I want to mention is a bit of geopolitics. There is an article, um, let me bring it up here, uh, on Dark Reading talking that said something really surprised me. They say that China, now um, 85% of their zero days that China finds are for edge devices. And I was surprised at first, and then I remembered the shadow brokers leak from a few years ago, which pretty much revealed that the NSA has been doing the same thing. I was surprised when they dumped a lot of exploits, and most of them were for like routers and firewalls and stuff. This is the new hotness. You don't hack the computers, you hack the edge devices. And the problem is, there's usually no security there. In fact, how could there be? I was just arguing with this on Paul Security Weekly. He said, well, you can monitor the network. I said, no, you can't. All that monitoring comes after your router. If they hacked your router, how are you going to know? If they hacked your firewall, how are you going to know? Right. Um, I, I This would be a good plug for open sense firewalls if you're not already using that. Why is it unhackable? It's open source. That doesn't make it unhackable at all. Right, but it it's just a standard uh, BSD distribution like PFSense, but open source. Uh, well, you run it on, on your own hardware. It's not a closed source thing, and I don't. It, I, it's any 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 computer is hackable, but you can run ClamAV on it if you need to. You can, you know, it, it's it gets updated constantly. It never goes out of date like a standard, you know, um, endpoint router. I mean, it's well, it's you just know, like I, running BSD. Well, this is my question. Is there any antivirus or something you can put that would actually protect your egg devices? And apparently, I think it's Ubiquity is trying to develop this. Some kind of like uh, tripwire for your router or something. Yeah. But right yeah, now, no. uh, they the things you buy have no defense at all. This seems like a really big problem. OpenSense does. I'm telling you, Open. Well, you think ClamAV even has any signatures for router malware? Sorry. Um Oh, I don't know if Clam AV does, but I think Clam uh, AV's only purpose is to grab files that are headed for your computers to infect them, not to yeah. protect the router itself. Yeah. Well, well, regardless, I mean, it's basically just a FreeBSD server, so it's yeah. And and so you have a bastion server of some kind on the edge, but how do you mm -hmm. protect your bastion server? Same way you would do any other server. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could you could technically you could technically run something like um, Falcon on it or something, CrowdStrike. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess but it's, yeah. but it's certainly much safer than going onto Amazon, buying the hundred dollar little router running God knows what, uh, you I know, suppose. using standardized hardware that you see, oh, this is a W6 TW TP link router. Oh, you know, we can just look it up here, but no, if you run open sense, it, you're going to be in a much better position. It's not, I'm not claiming it's, it's unhackable, but it's, 
less hackable than those cheap little devices you get off Amazon. Well, you make a good point. And maybe the uh, entry point of the internet into your home or small business should not be a router, but it should be a bastion server running a real operating system so you mm-hmm. can run real defenses. That's the way it was done long ago. Before, and maybe we should just go back to that. Yeah. In fact, I will show people what I've used because it is yeah. absolutely amazing. And I, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, let me go over here to the browser. Uh, so I'm on Amazon. So I use uh, these servers from Protectly, which are, this one's running like i7. It's a little expensive, but it runs i7. You can put, yeah, see, I purchased this before. It runs i7 um, and has, you know, 32 gigabytes of RAM, about, you know, 480 gigabytes of hard drive space, and you just put whatever the hell you want on it. What? But you don't need all that for a Bastion server. No, you don't. It could be. But but the the reason I needed something like this is because um, for whatever reason, some companies thought I was hacking them, and I had to move all my traffic to a, VP, a new VPN. So um, I got I had to upgrade to this high-end uh, firewall yeah. that would send all my traffic to another endpoint so I could use the internet again. Wow. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, but anyway, you just throw whatever you want, PFSense, OpenSense. It's just a regular server, and it's small, and it doesn't even have a fan. Um, it's just self-cooled. It's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they have cheaper ones too. So they have this one. Uh, here's one for two hundred and sixty dollars that is running probably like a um, Celeron or something. Yeah. Uh, oh, Intel dual cores, whatever. It's a Celeron. Who knows? But anyway, mm-hmm. two hundred. But you don't need that much power if all you're doing is routing traffic. So. Yeah, but you. Yeah, that's good. You know, I met a man a few years ago that had bought a two hundred dollar home gateway just for his IoT devices in the house in a similar yeah. vein of security. It's not a bad idea, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you get one of these devices and you can set it up however you want. So for example, um, like I have, um, you, you can easily set it up so you have multiple networks. Um, and in fact, you can, you can nest these together. So my old firewall uh, now goes to my hacking lab where I invite students in. That hacking lab does not have access to my home network. But my home network has access to the hacking lab. Good. Um, and so, you know, you can really drill down your your network to, you know, however you feel comfortable. I don't I don't mind having my IoT devices on my home network. They don't have to be in a separate network. I don't care about that as much. But um, when I invite students in, I definitely want them stuck in my hacking lab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think this is... A uh, very good idea as our homes become smart and therefore they're more like small businesses with all these devices and we really need like segregation and traffic monitoring, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, when you get these really nice routers uh, and firewalls, uh, you can go on there and see, you know, exactly who's been attacking you. And like I said, just set it up exactly how it needs to be. So I have a custom DNS server that blocks ads and tracking and, um, you know, I have uh, um I have such a fast internet connection that I actually have link aggregation to the router. Which link is, aggregation? What's yes. That? So the idea is that instead of having one Ethernet going from the LAN. Um, oh, okay. That kind of link. Physical link yeah. aggregation. Yeah. Physical link aggregation. Yes. So, so it's multipath TCP. 
I remember, exactly. I remember Sheena talk about this at the Wall of Sheep, pointing out, of course, multi-class TCP completely trashes your ability to monitor the network. It does not, actually. Um, the way it actually works is that any one TCP connection goes only through one wire, is, is how I set oh, it up. But oh, if you have not, multiple, yeah, but if you have multiple, yeah. yeah, if you have multiple uh, TCP connections, so if I have two computers, yeah, uh, they can sort of go simultaneously. Yeah. Um, just because I have each, I have a one gig connection to the internet, uh, but the ports on my firewall are also one gig. So mm -hmm. it would actually just slow things down to have everything go through a single port. But it, but you know. Yeah. Well, that's good. I thought, I thought multi-path TCP meant that a single connection went through both paths and therefore your right. snipper will only get half of it. Right. Um. So, so I can sniff directly on the router so I can. Right. After it it, it binds yeah. back together. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, you have yeah. to find a place where it's no longer multi-path to do monitoring. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but but the link aggregation I am doing, um, it it does sort of like a round robin thing where it just says, okay, you're in link one, you're in link two, and you know, it just stays in those things. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's it for this one. We'll have another one of these on Tuesday.